Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Carl Carlson. And this is Diana Dini. Hey, Diana. Hi, Carl. Hi. I've been thinking about a, a uh, subject to uh, talk about um, having to do with uh, organizations. You uh, have a, a really great background in, uh, in working in, in your areas of uh, design for quality and design for reliability. And, and I know you've got some experience in the how they're organized. And I've got the background uh, at uh, when I was at General Motors for a number of years and and saw all the different ways that quality and reliability can be organized. And I thought it'd be fun to share experiences and and some of the pros and cons of the way quality and reliability can be organized within a company. What do you think? I think that sounds great. And and you have a managerial experience with this too, right? Yes, I uh I picked up uh, General Motors uh, reliability, product reliability group in 1989. And uh, that was sort of the beginning of the, I was a reliability engineer before that and a test engineer, but that's my first um, managerial uh, focus. And at that time, the organization, well, let me just say over the years, over the next 20 years or so, uh, reliability was sometimes organized underneath a quality organization, sometimes organized underneath an engineering organization, and sometimes reporting directly to the testing and validation departments. And uh, and so I've kind of seen uh, the, the corporate side when reliability is part of that corporate activity. And I've also seen it when it's organized directly within engineering. And they definitely have pros and cons on, on the how, how well you integrate reliability. Yes. Now I've not been, I've been the recipient of managerial org structure decisions. <laughs> I've not been in charge of setting them up, but I have lived through um, different acquisitions and different org organizational changes um, and shifting around. Um, and my background is mostly medical devices. So we had uh, quality, reliability, and regulatory. Um, involved in the engineering decisions of any particular project. So that's the kind of viewpoint that I'm coming from. What uh, what worked best from your point of view? What kind of like reporting system where reliability and quality reported to? What, what kind of worked best in your opinion? Well, it I worked many years as quality and reliability was under one umbrella. Mm -hmm. And it reported, it just reported straight up. It didn't report into engineering or anything because there was a sense that there needed to be independence so that the quality and reliability people were making decisions based on the business needs and the project needs, and they weren't beholden to uh, the pressures of any engineering um, decisions. And there there was an opportunity for a reorganization. And I remember there being a lot of pushback against having quality and reliability under engineering. And I, I, know, I know when I say that, it makes it sound like engineering are bad guys. <laughs> That's not the case. Um, 
but there just was a, a concern about a sense of independence with that. That's a great, uh, great comment. So you, your that experience would have quality and reliability reporting up to corporate, as yes. opposed to okay. And I'll just I'll just offer some thoughts about that. The where I've seen that done, it it does have that independence, which is very cool. However, it also has this, and maybe it didn't happen where you were, um, but it also has this. I'm from corporate and here to help. Uh, where it's people take, you're not integrated into the team. And so where project teams are really important, like I've uh, been drawing on that years ago when I was at General Motors, like a Corvette team, they really worked as a team. And then the quality person, if it was from corporate, was an outsider. And it was hard to integrate into their day-to-day -day activities so when it, during that era, when I was pushing to get reliability and design, it, it, it was more difficult if there's a corporate reporting structure, whereas when I, we had reliability as part of engineering, then it became part of the engineering team. However, the independence is a factor as well. So I can kind of see it either way. So now when, um, I mean, there were project teams so somebody from the corporate structure, a quality reliability engineer, we were one in the same. <laughs> there right. wasn't a separate reliability engineer. Um, we, we were just a, we all knew each other and knew each other's strengths. So we would pull pull on each other's experiences for particular areas if we needed to. So that, that was a benefit of having a group of quality and reliability engineers, because that can be a broad topic with specific niches, you can pull in those um, particular areas that you're good at when you need to. But there was also somebody from that group assigned to a product development team, and they were responsible for all the quality and reliability activities that happened with that team. So they would go to the team meetings and, um, you know, I guess some well, of the, yeah, go ahead. No, you're, you're bringing up a great point, which is how you implement is more important, possibly more important than where who you report to, because I completely agree with the 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 value of having someone co-locate and sit with the teams. They're there at the team meetings, like in this by team, I mean like the Corvette team, or yes. even a um, in, in in another case it would be the seat, like vehicle interior seats team. And so what I did is I would have reliability engineers that were specific to a, to a car line. And they would literally, their desk would be in that project team area. Yes. And they would report, they would go to all the project team meetings, sit next to the design engineers. And then once a week, we would have method type meetings where we'd bring everybody together. Then I had a few methods experts that would be all focused around electrical or chassis or, or uh, even uh, reliability methods like um, reliability testing or FMEA. So I had sort of a hybrid of some methods experts and then reliability and quality engineers that would go sit with the teams as kind of a hybrid approach. And I would put forward that that mattered more than who we reported to. Mm -hmm. 
the reporting structure. I never ran into an independence problem, and maybe that's that would uh, depend on management. If you had um, that, could be a problem. Let me just I'm thinking about something here, thinking out loud, so to speak, in a podcast. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, the what you don't want is to straddle design for with at the same time uh, fixing reliability problems. So if the same person straddles the design for and the fixing, then they tend to get pushed into the fixing because design for takes more time. So when I wanted to emphasize design for, which was a huge part of my career, design for reliability, I, I basically put the focus on that design for, and those people were not allowed to work on fixing field urgent crises problems because that would take them completely off the time they need to work on reliability and design. So I have sort of had to run some air cover for them so that the design for engineers could take the time, which takes more time than fixing a problem. And so that was an interesting uh, conundrum is to create a structure that allowed people to take the time needed to design for reliability. And there's a lot, a lot different time frame between that and the urgent crises of fixing problems. Well, then the fixing problems too, it's sort of a, well, like you said, it doesn't take as long, but it's sort of its own little bubble. I mean, you, you immediately have something to work on, you know, you know what to target, you have act activities that you can be doing toward finishing that goal. It's pretty well defined. And I can see your point where design for reliability position um, can seem like it's more open-ended. You don't uh, really have as much clarity on the kind of activities that you're going to need to do. I mean, at a high level, yeah. But not to a, hey, I'm going to do these five things and then complete this project and be done. Um, because it depends on how the design develops, right? Exactly. The uh, and, and so so much of this depends on the culture. Um, if you have a culture of, of teamwork and achieving reliability in design as part of the product development process, if that's baked into the culture, then it, it works very easily. If it's not baked in the culture, uh, what's happened, what happens is the latest crisis is all absorbing. It takes takes over. And so the, the person who's trying to work on some FMEAs or work on some HALT projects or things earlier in design gets co-opted and put onto the uh, firefighting. And that's, that's what I was trying to prevent by uh, organizing it in, in such a way that prevented the um, usage of people that are working on reliability and design on firefighting projects. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Now, would, would you find that the reliability engineers would, maybe they're doing the, uh, the firefighting, the, the um, investigating and, and the correction stuff, would would they get sick of doing that and say, "Hey, can I get it put on a design project?" Would you would you have to make those kind of uh, shifts with your personnel to keep people happy and engaged? 
Uh, no, I didn't have that particular problem because we we basically um, separated them from the beginning, and uh, and they're both fascinating. Uh, the the firefighting is fascinating because it's you have immediate feedback. You fix something, and the plant suddenly is working. Maybe the plant's down or stopped, and now it's working. Or you have a huge field problem that's a crisis in terms of uh, bleeding money. And uh, and that gives immediate rewards, whereas the design four can take months or even years between the fruits of your labor to where you actually see them. And, and so it, it, it takes a different type of coaching and almost a different type of person to uh, work on one versus the other. I certainly wouldn't want to do both of them. If I was a reliability engineer, I would want to pick one or the other on any given period of time and not try to be available for both types of projects because you'll end up getting pulled into the firefighting. Yeah, because that's the immediate pain. Yeah. It's not preventive, like like in design. I'll make another point about um, organization is that the management, like thinking back to General Motors, they had a program rotating management every couple of years. Yes, so, I've heard of that. Yeah. And it's very cool in terms of development of management. Like one year you might be in charge of a, or working as an executive in a plant. And the next year you're overseas in Europe or in China or someplace. And they rotate people around. And it's very good for the personal development of management. It's not good at all for the long-term continuity of a reliability program, which might take two or three years between the concept, uh, feasibility studies, that type of thing, and the launch and then where you actually get feedback in the field. And so when the when the manage, manage, management's leaving in the middle of that, you lose the continuity of the programs. And they tend to focus more on the things that get immediate benefit rather than the long-term benefit. So you're saying when uh, you would have your dedicated reliability engineers assigned to a project, but the project managers would swap out in the middle of it, and then you would have to kind of bring them up to speed for with the design for reliability techniques. Is that is that what? Yeah, you, you got it perfectly, Diana. The in other words, you've educated certain person in management; and they're they're supportive of everything, and you you're getting traction. You're implementing design for reliability. That person swaps out, goes to a different country, or whatever, or a different career move. Now you have to start over educating management, so to speak, on design for reliability. So it's it's an interesting uh, aspect of the uh, implementation of a program is you need long-term continuity on the on the DFR. Yeah. Yeah. So your your reliability engineers wouldn't follow the managers. They would follow the project. They'd be project based. Yes. They would yeah. they would stay within the reliability group. The reliability group would report to whatever, and now I'm now I'm going to fast forward to the last 20 years. I've worked with a lot of different companies, so I see how they're organized, and uh, and some of them have reliability groups in a corporate area. Some of them have reliability groups in 
engineering. And what matters most is the support they get from management and the long-term continuity and consistency in terms of implementation. So wherever you can get that, uh, that really makes a difference. The, uh, the other thing is, is reliability. The other so important, Fred and I talk about this a lot, and it's the last two chapters of our most recent book is on the soft skills. So when you're organizing to achieve reliability, we need to teach reliability engineers the soft skills, communication, integration, influencing. Uh, all of those things are so important because if you if a reliability engineer gets a great education in a terrific university and understands reliability backwards and forwards, that does not mean that they can implement reliability in a company because you can't do reliability by itself. You need to work as part of a team and influence design engineers uh, in order to accomplish reliability and design. So those soft skills are really important. However they get organized, they have to occur somehow. So that's something, uh, you know, for the people listening that are into reliability, they've been into it for a while, or maybe they're just now getting into it. Um, just knowing that the the soft skills and the kind of things you're talking about, well, well you said it, um, it's working within a team structure, influencing decisions, um, and being able to just navigate working with a team of other people is an important trait. But those are things that can be learned, I think. Yes, they can. Yes, they can. If you think about it, if you want to design for reliability and you're a reliability engineer, well, that means you have to influence design. Well, you can't just walk in and talk to the design engineer and say, I think you should change the radius or you should change the material. No, you have to use methods. You know, whether it's FMEA or you know, certain types of uh, early upfront reliability methods, but you need to get cooperation. You need to engender and, and solicit cooperation from people, which means you need to be a team member. And all those are skills that can be learned, but they're not necessarily taught in universities. The, the softer skills aren't. So Fred and I all try to put a lot of emphasis on uh, soft skills to supplement the harder skills that people learn on reliability methods. But you, um, you touched on something there too, is just um, part of working on a team isn't just pointing out things that could go wrong, right? But like reliability engineers <laughs> look for things that can go wrong. Um, but there are things you can do with your teammates. Um, I call it co-working, um, but, but you're working through an analysis with your team and and a lot of these reliability analyses, the team ones like FMEA, um, they don't shoot out an answer at the end. It's not like a math problem where you get an answer. Um, there are ways to explore ideas and prioritize them so that the team can make a decision together on the next actions or the next steps to take. Yeah, exactly. The uh, the uh, the other part I'll I'll mention on this is because I I agree with you on the. Um, the 
interaction with teams and getting getting your you can't walk into a group and put, like you say you can't point out things that are wrong and and get any traction you really have to gain trust and help people everybody in the design teams and the manufacturing teams want to have good products so if you can help them achieve good products then you're going to influence the other thing i'll mention that's irrespective of the reporting structure is all of the outcomes of projects like FMEA or like design of experiments, those outcomes need to be shared with management and listening for management feedback. So it's one thing for an FMEA team, for example, to get what they think are good recommendations to improve the design, but those recommendations should go to management. Mm. And uh, shared, here's why the FMEA team thinks we need to change this. And the management says, you got it, and we agree, and they'll support it. Or they'll say, no way, that's going to cost too much money, and we're not going to do that. That type of interaction is essential to get the, number one, for management to realize what the value is of the method that's being used, and to also for management to be involved. And conversely, for the people on the ground, the reliability engineers and the design engineers to get the feedback from management, because without their support, nothing can get executed. So I really like to have interactivity with management as part of reliability engineering uh, methods and organizational implementation. Yeah, that's good advice. And then, uh, you know, just the decision makers who who has to make the decisions and not letting them see their authority to the the team right it's their yes. job to make a decision so uh, present it for them to be able to do so and of course it matters a lot that the the team on the ground recommends something because very often management if they have the right people working uh they'll defer and, and place great value on the recommendation. But having that interactivity, I think, is really important. If you're a listener, and because I'm really curious about the subject of organizational structure, a part of me thinks that the structure is not as important as how it's implemented. In other words, the kind of support you get um, in terms of implementation, but structure can matter. And I'd be really curious for people to, uh, to share with us um, your type of organizational structure for quality and reliability, what you think works best and, and why, and we'd be happy to talk more about it in the future. So Diana, do you remember where they go on the Ascendo website if they want to provide feedback? Yes, um, Fred made it really easy. It's ascendoreliability.com forward slash go forward slash S-O-R, which is short for speaking of reliability. Oh, that's fantastic. So, well, great, great conversation. Enjoyed uh, chatting with you. Same here, Carl. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.